Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief Danny Rogers. Hello, Danny. Hello, Frankie. And we have two very special guests with us this week. Gillian Taylor, Head of External Communications for John Lewis and Laura Marta, Creative Director of Taylor Herring. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi, hello, Frankie. So today we are here to discuss this year's Christmas campaigns in a festive season that is likely to be one of the most challenging for all brands to navigate, given just how febrile the economic and social environment is that we find ourselves in this year. Um, It's such an honour to have Gillian with us and to discuss this issue, given John Lewis's iconic advertising campaigns that are hotly anticipated every Christmas. And it's also an honour to have Laura with us, who's been leading one of the season's most talked about campaigns for celebrations, which also won last week's Beyond the Noise top. So well done, Laura. But first of all, to you, Gillian. So this is obviously a very challenging uh, season for you to navigate. You know, how, how have you approached that creative process uh, for the John Lewis campaign this year? And I'm also really interested to know how involved you actually are in the creative development of this campaign alongside Adam and Eve. So do tell us. So I think this year we probably started work earlier and we kept going even later than normal. So um And it's been a year where we've looked at loads of creative ideas. We work really closely. So from the first moment, the kind of some scripts are thought about or the brief goes out um, in comms, we are integrated right in there with the marketing team. So work very closely with Adam and Eve. Um, We have Adam and Eve on speed dial quite a lot of the time, certainly in the weeks coming up to the launch of it. But we work very, very closely and we are right there through every single decision that is made. And there's always a very good discussion around what's the script like? How will we integrate that further? You know, have we got the tone right? What, you know, how do we think it will land? So when did the, when did the brief go out? When did this process start? Well, we're already working on Christmas 23. Wow. 
um, which is <laughs> which kind of fills me with horror and dread. But actually, it's also, I mean, we're so lucky. I think I have to be the luckiest in-house comms person to have this. You know, we are so lucky to be kind of have this talking point um, every year. And the fact that a lot of people wait to see the John Lewis Christmas ad, I think that is incredibly lucky and we're very privileged. Um, and actually, we treat it in a very privileged way. We don't take that for granted. Um, and we work, that's why we have to work so closely with the marketing team, I think, to make sure that we have everything in place. So with that creative process, was there quite a stretch that you had on the table at the beginning of that process that allowed you to, to really kind of consider all of the roads and avenues that you could have gone down from the very kind of commercial message to the purpose message? I mean, how was that process? I mean, Adam and Eva are, are a great team. So they come up with lots of different ideas. And then there's, you know, there's lots of discussions. Um, sometimes I like to go to those discussions. Sometimes I'm not because I'm, I am usually quite forthright with, I don't think that's going to work. We've got to think about X, Y, and Z. Um, but we, you know, there's lots of scripts read and there's lot, there was this year we did a lot of customer research as well. So what did customers think of those scripts and how well were they going down? We were very mindful. We've come out of the pandemic. You know, last Christmas we weren't all together. This Christmas will probably be a little bit more traditional because we will all be together, but we're also dealing with cost of living. So all of those things were sort of swirling around. We have done purpose Christmas ads before a little bit. So we did give a little love two years ago. And, um, you know, so we were very mindful of what do our customers want to be hearing? What, how do we want to drive um, sort of, if you like, noise around the brand? What is it that we want to deliver, both through the advertising lens, but very much through the communications lens, which then goes into social media, you know, you're into print and your broadcast. And we're looking at all of those lenses to think, how is it we want to be perceived? And what will our customers do as a result? And how is the social sentiment sort of performing so far would you say for the ad so incredibly well it's the it's the best so it's up um quite considerably on last year i think it's in the 90 percent and it's um i mean literally from the moment we launched it um and we were very very careful about how we launch it to the media and on social um but i have been blown away by the journalists on the when we were briefing them how they reacted and also the letters and the emails and the comments on social Again, we just felt incredibly privileged, to be honest. I think everybody was, you know, there's, there was definitely a few tears. So, Gillian, I've gone on the record saying I love the John Lewis campaign this year. I think it's a, a very moving, very powerful film. Um, and I think the sentiment is pretty much spot on for Britain in 2022. But it must have been quite a big decision to double down on purpose, as it were, uh, in the, there's not that many purpose-led festive campaigns around this year, but this is very much a you know a social purpose campaign. What what made you decide that? And um, so we had relaunched our purpose earlier this year. Um, so we, our purpose is working in partnership um, for a happier world, and we'd also started to look at the whole issue of care. So we'd done quite a lot of work throughout the year, and you know, how we integrated our purpose into the campaign was one of those parts of the brief that we were trying to answer. But it it, it wasn't easy. Um, so it was always there. And we were trying to come up with a solution. Um, and I think, to be honest, that's where really the marketing team come out because they then pushed through in the end for um, 
this idea, but there was a lot of debate. There was a lot of other ideas on the table and we all had an opinion about how could we, you know, how could we bring purpose out more? And it wasn't easy. So you sort of moved away from the thoughtful gifting uh, approach, which has been certainly the case for many years for John Lewis. Uh, The thoughtful gifting approach obviously had some big commercial advantages in that you could get more products into the into the film um are you you know are you wary about moving away from that, that no approach? i don't think we are i, I mean the john Lewis partnership has probably had purpose at its heart since it first opened doors back in um oxford street and peter jones you know we've we've actually had purpose really at our heart although it has the, the purpose has changed over the years so i don't think for us it is difficult putting purpose at the heart of campaigns because actually we're all actively encouraged to do it in fact i have um purpose-driven um, KPIs as part of my, um, you know, objectives every year. So we all have to think about it and do something about it. Um, so I don't think it was a difficult decision. I think sometimes they're coming up with the idea and then how you support that, that's the difficult bit. Because for this, um, you know, the, the discussion around care is quite a, um, is a difficult one. And we knew that, you know, possibly not everybody would like it. And again, you know, there's a lot, there's the cost of living challenge out there. So should we have been being more commercial was definitely part of those discussions. Because I know the um, the John Lewis Christmas campaign has won many effectiveness awards over the years because of its ability to drive sales in the, in the shops year after year. Was it a concern that this may not drive sales in the same way as previous campaigns? I don't think so. For us, this was about the brand that is John Lewis. So what is that saying to our customers or people who may want to shop with us? Um, you know, again, John Lewis this, earlier this year launched, um, we did a really big report into the Moments Economy, which we launched in September. And actually, John Lewis is one of those brands that I think has been there. Um, and I don't know about you, Danny or Frankie or Laura, you know, if you got married, you were probably having your um, live wedding list at John Lewis, you know, having a new baby, moving home. It's a brand that tends to be there for those moments. So I think for us, actually, this Christmas ad is really just an extension of that. And again, that whole moment of Christmas, I do think people think about John Lewis. So, you know, that is really important for us. And um, it was just part of what we did for the campaign. So looking to you, Laura, bring you in here. I mean, the other sort of really big standout purpose campaign of of this year, I think I would guess it would be the co-op. Would you agree? Yes. What did you think? I mean, a very, very different approach this year where they obviously they decided not to go, uh, well, not to deliver a traditional TV campaign. It's hugely, I was going to say daring. Daring is probably the wrong word, but um, bold um, and really taking the approach of put it, literally putting your money where your mouth is. Um, and I, you know, would love to have been in those in those meetings and getting people to sign that off because, wow, whoever managed to uh, get the marketing guy on board with that one is uh, a genius. Um, it's interesting to think whether the brief started with we're not going to do an ad, right, yeah, or whether exactly. it got there through the process. Well, the th- I guess the thing is, though, is that then the balance then comes where – so I, I, I had a bit of a Google on it uh, last night as well because I was, I, I was slightly disappointed to start off with um, about how little press that I'd seen it got thus far. That's not to say it's not going to, um, you know, snowball. Um, but I guess that's where your where where the kind of balances of, you know, this is a a really great initiative. Also, by the way, I say this having um, also seen them on 
uh, I think it was Good Morning Britain this morning uh, with a full interview about it, which was brilliant. Um, but, you know, you have to balance the the idea of, the, you know, this is this is an incredible initiative. So uh, they partnered with your local pantry and did a live stream with Big Zoo. And it's all completely social led. All the money's going into that. And it's all completely charitable versus, you know, the being able to get your your brand ethos out there. And, you know, uh, whilst whilst you don't want to be really kind of crass with anything purpose, where's the where's the trade-off with the fame element as well um and so i sort of wonder with this campaign whether again as i say it it may end up snowballing but whether potentially with the announcement they could have maybe had a few more like assets up their sleeve just to kind of help that newsworthiness um, and get it into the papers What's interesting about that, I question, I know some of the team that run the co-op fridges campaign, the local fridges campaign, and I've questioned the PR around that before as well, but apparently it's just been a phenomenal success and they have so many people already going to those fridges. So I suppose it's, I wonder how they're evaluating the success. Because if you look at the pantry, I believe you can go in and get like, what, £10 worth of food for like £4.50. They're genuinely delivering a service for people, yeah. a value service in a cost of living crisis. So I wonder where the evaluation is there and whether it's around media coverage or perhaps it's around the actual engagement with their local communities. Oh, uh, God, 100%. And um, I'm very aware of the fact that I, <laughs> I sound hugely cynical saying everything that I'm saying. Um, no, it's, it's right. It's so a good question to me. ask. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a totally reasonable question to ask, isn't it? But I just, because I ask the same thing of the fridges, but I, I think maybe I wonder if they have a very different relationship with their customers on a very local level. Yeah. And maybe that's what's driving that. Yeah, potentially, and I—I I mean, I've got to say, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm hugely impressed with the with the campaign idea. Um, just at, at a very basic level, I think it's—I think it's great. We start every year asking the question of should we have a should we do a a Christmas ad? You know, what is the investment into that, and and what does it mean if we don't? Um, and that has been quite again quite a large discussion for us. But, but Danny, I think you mentioned our return on investment for the advertising campaign is what keeps coming back to we that, you know, it's very much part of our Christmas campaign. And it does give us that moment to really amplify through comms channels. So for us, um, you know, it's literally a question we ask. And um, there's a lot, again, lots of debate over it, but we have always gone ahead with it. I, I have heard that the partnership one year didn't do an ad and put the money into something else, but I don't think it worked. I suppose it's just John Lewis is such a part of Christmas culture now, isn't it? That I think to to lose the ad would feel like we're all losing something. And I suppose because you have such a unique position as a partnership brand, um, and your ability to bring people together. I think it's probably, I know that the co-op is obviously a community-led brand as well, but for some reason it feels right that those brands, you know, you've chosen the different creative routes. It, it feels that they were the right choices for those individual brands and their customers. Can I ask why um, why you guys think there's so few purpose-driven campaigns generally? Because uh, with, with the exception of John Lewis and uh, co-op, which, which we've talked about and arguably Marks and Spencer's, there's hardly any purpose-driven campaigns around. Is it because companies, organisations are scared of the backlash that uh, potentially they may 
get if they're not seen to be authentic? That's a really good question. Yeah. I think there's there's probably lots of reasons. I mean, we were definitely very worried about a backlash for this year's ad. We we're very mindful of that. Um, I think it's the investment. And again, we, because of everything going on with cost of living, you know, especially for retailers, retail is not the easiest business to be in at the moment. So I think, you know, you make some of these decisions because a lot of these campaigns and the the PR that comes off the back of it, you know, they really do bring in, um, you know, they do return on the investment. So I think a lot of businesses look at these and really do try to consider what is the best thing for them. It just so happened for us this year. It was definitely the campaign that we came up with because we had tried, you know, launching different initiatives about care and things earlier in the year. And it really feels that this gave our campaign the voice that it needed. Um, and I think yeah. the other thing, just to your point about investment, people are people are looking at investment a lot more these days. So it's like you can't just you can't just badge something on top of a campaign. You can't just badge a bit of purpose um, because people are very aware of how much money um, companies are making. And so then if you're like, oh, you know, we're giving £10,000 to this charity, people will be like, whoa, 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 hang on. We know you're about to make X amount. That's menial in comparison. So I think... Um, I would imagine that uh, the you know the marketing departments uh, and the CSR departments in in all of these companies are kind of like well you know we have X set aside for the for the ad campaign or for the Christmas campaign but if we were going to do a purpose thing on top of that either you have to do the co-ops approach which is ditch one for the other or you have to have enough of a secondary pot to be able to actually make a proper uh, investment and a proper difference within that kind of purpose lane as well makes sense but i thought i thought purpose was supposed to be built into every organization's narrative now it was supposed to be fundamental to their sort of corporate story and yet we're not seeing that through the through the campaigns i think this year um i mean it's been a tough year um so i think there was probably two routes did you want to go down the purpose road or did you want to go down one that brought joy fun maybe a little bit of laughter probably some things that we've had not had in large amounts so you know some of the other retail brands definitely went after the kind of the joy and the laughter um you know asda being a very good example sainsbury's i guess as well and with on that point are there any other standout campaigns ones that have brought you joy and laughter over the last couple of weeks Laura, what's your, we both talked about the crazy TK Maxx ad. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why, but it is just weirdly hypnotic. It's that it? 1970s soundtrack oh, for sure. Number one. Hand. I'm like, I'm imagining myself in the room when they go, so there's going to be a hand and then there's going to be another hand. And this is how the hand works through the creative treatment and trying to sell that in a room and actually then get TK Maxx to buy it and then see it all the way through to the creative and, and deliver it really well. I mean, I think that's cool quite an achievement but yeah, I think the end definitely. result is it's very good isn't definitely it? it's also it's got this really lovely kind of Wes Anderson-esque uh theme to it or this aesthetic to it um it's super colorful super joyful the whole thing like it literally gets you moving whilst you're watching it it's great um yeah yeah I I, I definitely agree with Gillian I think there, there were two routes to go down you either go down purpose or you go down absolute uh escapism and joy yeah yeah and then of course the other thing that you can do is also take bounties out of um celebrations <laughs> boxes that is something else you <laughs> could do yes. take. so tell us about it and how, how is it performing for you i mean it's it, that again has been um just a, a wonderful a joy 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For campaign. Yeah, I mean, as it, I mean, who knew that a chocolate could be quite so divisive? Um, I mean, so our client at Mars, I mean, they're, they're brilliant. They've essentially been trolling the country for years anyway. Um, I know a few years ago, so before we started working with them, they did... Um, they launched an advent calendar where the first three um, doors behind the first three doors were bounties and everyone was in kind of uproar around this. Um, and so they're very aware of that. And I think, I think brands are often quite scared of uh, drilling down on potential negatives, but then flipping it to a positive. So, you know, accepting the fact that maybe people don't like bounties is quite is quite sort of daring from a client and actually, and we were like, absolutely, we're in, this is great. So it all came off the back of last year with the uh, bounty return scheme. So off the insight that, you know, celebration tubs are awash with bounties at the, at the bottom. And so what happened to those poor unloved chocolates? Uh, and we should uh, give them a, give them a loving home because there are people out there who do love bounties um, and then that also gave us the opportunity to make um, a really nice brand film. And there were lots of different elements. And so basically, we just wanted to uh, essentially outdo it this year by not just returning them, taking them out altogether and uh, essentially throwing down the gauntlet for the secret bounty lovers. Talking of the febrile environment of which we're in which we're operating, Gillian Waitrose, which is also under your aegis, um, your Waitrose campaign had a bit of a backlash. Tell us, tell us about that. So the Waitrose campaign has launched slightly later this year. It only launched um, actually a week ago. And it was very much about the care and the amazing effort that goes into the products all year round. So the ad opens with Christmas being packed away. And that's from that moment on that actually all of our farmers, suppliers, our partners are already thinking about the Christmas for the next year. So. Um, we didn't want to take away from that story, but we have had some uh, feedback from some charities and on social media to say, actually, we had two farmers who were comparing their tan lines and that the charities felt that this was not right because um, we weren't practicing sun safety. Now, we actually had a medic on the ads on the um when we were filming the ad, he was, um, you know, the farmers, of course, had sun's protection on. The medic was actually there to make sure that there was, you know, no harm caused to anybody. And you've had complaints from, I believe, Melanoma UK, the skin cancer charity, claiming that it 
sort of belittled the dangers of, of sun tanning. Yes, so that's the, um, yes, that's what they said. And we've had other charities get in touch and say, actually, you know, they can appreciate the effort and what the sort of the story of the ad that we were trying to tell and were there other ways that they could work with us. So um, I think it was the British Skin Foundation got in touch to say, actually, um, you know, they loved the story, the overall story of what we were trying to do because, you know, British farmers, again, are having quite a tough time at the moment. So what you know they really appreciated the story that we were trying to tell but actually was there anything that we could do to work with them and that's something that we are looking at going forward i should also add that we have edited the ad okay you've you've edited the ad how did you edit it so we just went back and i mean there's always when we are we're capturing these ads there's always lots of different um pieces of footage taken so there was a two second part of the ad that we've edited out so they're no longer comparing their tans we just felt it was the right thing to do again over the weekend, lots of debates. But I think on hindsight, um, we just felt it was the right thing to do. We want nothing to take away from the story of actually, you know, there was real farmers in that ad. There was real partners in that ad. And we really wanted to show them and the effort that they put in. So we didn't want to take away from that and felt that, you know, if some people were upset, then we would remove it. What I think is so interesting here is is twofold. One that, you know, whatever campaign or cause you talk about in your campaigning, you're going to get somebody who tries to use it as a platform for their own their own cause. And also that it really shows the value of comms professionals, because I, I would imagine, Julian, you were quite busy last weekend um, dealing with this, which was completely unforeseen, really, wasn't it, when you were making the film? So it was... Um... We wanted a moment of levity. We wanted something that actually just brought a little bit of laughter in the middle of the ad. And was so it definitely, we didn't want people to be upset by something that we were hoping was lighthearted. Um, as you can imagine, when we're doing these campaigns, we have Q&As that cover absolutely everything. And that was in there. If you'd asked me, I don't think I would have said it would have come up because I think the campaign itself was powerful about promoting British farming and the and the effort that people go into. So I... I have to be honest, hand on heart, I don't think I was probably in the camp of this will come up. Otherwise, I think we would have taken it out before the ad hit the screen. I think you've done absolutely the right thing in terms of doing that edit. And that's the very best thing that you can do, can't you? You can, you know, creatively, it, it wasn't, you know, you didn't see that. But obviously, as soon as it was brought to your attention, you changed it and, and can move on. Yes. So obviously, the John Lewis campaign, the launch of the John Lewis campaign every year is a major moment. And lots of other brands sort of waiting for John Lewis to launch so they can um, they can t- either time their own campaigns differently so they don't get blotted out or they can run parodies. Um, so how do you decide the timing? And then maybe, Laura, you can talk a bit about the parodies. So in terms of the timing of the ad, we always look very closely at when does Halloween fall and um, bonfire night and then what what does it mean with Black Friday and the timing there and this year we had the added complexity of the World Cup so there was lots of discussion around timing and we also wanted to go I mean we can see when customers are starting to buy Christmas you know from August onwards but we wanted to go ever so slightly closer to Christmas so I think we were a week later than most people had been expecting us to go. Can I ask as basically the sort of festive market leader um, do you do you have a base when you launch your um, campaign around other retailers or is it literally just 
um, events and and when you think you're going to go because it sort of feels like so ev- I know that everyone else is basically doing theirs around you so I wonder whether you're even aware of when everyone else is going or if it's just like nope we're going to go when we're going to go you guys have to sort yourselves out so we we do look and um I mean, retail's hugely competitive, which is actually why I love working in comms and retail. Um, so we do we do think about it and think, you know, what's the best slot for us? Where's that first um, viewing going to be? This year it was on um, I'm a Celebrity, and I think it was Matt Hancock's second night. Um, the, the jury's out if that was the best slot, but anyway. And, um, you know, we do think about when are the others likely to go, but that doesn't always um, matter to us. It's kind of what do we think in terms of all of those other dates, you know, the Halloween, Bonfire Night, Black Friday. Those are really important to us. So we try to work out when do we think it's best. We look a bit of customer insight too. And then the other thing, we do have to make sure that there's, you know, there's space between us and Waitrose. So, Laura, tell us about your interest in the timing of the John Lewis campaign this year. <laughs> well, um well, on on a number of different clients, actually, we're, we're really interested in when John Lewis goes. Um, so, for well, for for example, for bounty and celebrations this year and last year, there's the we had the kind of film element to the campaign where we take a bit of a close close eye, keep a close eye on what uh, John Lewis is doing. Like we, um, our our sort of narrative is based around a bit of a a John Lewis formula. Um, so we we have the kind of lilting soundtrack um, and a kind of unlikely friendship and and that kind of thing. Um, but from from the point of view, particularly because our because our content is just living online, we really need to make sure that firstly we don't go on the same day as you. If we go on the same day as you, <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna drown. So we need to make sure. But we also don't want to go. Um, we don't want to go first because. Uh, you know, you're not going to get into any roundups. And also if you're not on TV as well, like there's just, there's not enough kind of, uh, there's not enough of a boost behind you to sort of get the conversation going. So we need to sort of hit dead in the middle. So we're kind of, the way that we approach it is that we're ready from the beginning and we're ready to press go at any point or move it if we need to. But then also with, with like sort of uh, the reactive parodies. So last year, um, we did one with uh, for Iceland for the um, for the alien ad, and I'm so sorry, I've now forgotten what it was called. An unlikely visitor, an unlikely guest, an unexpected guest, unexpected oh. guest. I got <laughs> I got half of it. Sorry. Um, you know, we noticed that uh, one of the uh, the key Iceland products is this uh, potato wedge that uh, looks like an alien. So we just superimpose that over your over your really lovely ad. <laughs> Which must have taken sort of hours and hours and well a year to come up with, and then we superimpose a potato over the top of it. So um, apologies, <laughs> but it's done with love. I, I think we love the parodies, um, and it's actually quite it's really nice to see. And again, you know, um, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, as they say. But I do think. Um, you know, I don't think this year was one of those years for parodies. So um, we haven't seen any. But, um, you know, I love the Iceland one last year. Um, we've had them over the year with uh, Kevin the Carrot. We've had students make their own ads. And again, we've also a little bit of, we've got Mr. John Lewis. 
who is on Twitter, oh, who's yes. the American man, and he is um, he's brilliant. He gets bombarded every year. We send him a gift every year, and we do warn him it's coming. We warn him privately and publicly. Um, and actually, this year, do you know what's quite interesting? Was he is the father of four adopted children, so I think for him this year the the campaign really hit home. Wow, makes a huge amount of sense. Wow. Well, listen, I wish you all the very best with all of your Christmas campaigns. I think we've just got, and and finally to ask you, and I know, Gillian, this is probably going to be like having to choose one of your favourite children, but I am going to ask you what your favourite John Lewis campaign of all time has been. Oh, I think that I am proudest of this year's um, because I have just been so blown away by the comments that we've had and the emails and the reactions. So I'm very proud of that. But as a mother, and I had, I think, a three-year-old at the time, the long wait back in 2011 when the little boy was super excited about giving present to his parents. I remember that, again, just really hit home for me because I had, I think, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I just kept thinking, oh, I hope they're going to be like that. Um, so it hit home. It, again, that was one of those big sort of John Lewis mo- life moments that I think we do really well. So, Laura, to you, what was your what was your favourite campaign so far? Um, I completely agree. I think narratively, um, the I've now oh god, I've now you've just said it and I've forgotten what the name was with the kid with the present. Um, the long wait. The long wait. Thank you. Sorry. Um, but then musically, so I, I also think that John Lewis has sort of changed the landscape of festive music. Um, I really liked. Um, the snowman one so with the power of love yeah that was beautiful i mean we have these discussions in the office even between all of us every year as well (laughs) and danny what was what's yours what was your favorite campaign well you've taken all the best ones but i I think if i had to pick one that wasn't one of those i think probably the bear and the hare i I think it was a christmas where i was going through a bit of a tough time and it was just such a moving a brilliant song the lily allen song as well just such a moving um the whole package. Well, mine has always been Man on the Moon and sort of, you know, talking about Gillian, talking about you with your three-year-old. I don't know what it was. I think it always felt like when a John Lewis ad made you really cry, you knew it had done its job. Um, and I think, I, I think I'd think i sort of, you know, it was definitely brought home for me my sort of lost grandparents. And I think it definitely kind of connected me with that time. So it will still always stand, stand out for me as a really special ad. So listen, thank you so much. What a, you know, I've got to say, what a cracker of a conversation. Had to obviously get that pun in thank you so much really appreciate um both Gillian and Laura for joining us so thank you so much and we, and we wish you both a, a very happy Christmas thank you you too Same to you thank you so now let's move to this week's top and flop so Danny I think we should start with this week's flop because I have a feeling it might be bigger than the top <laughs> yes well both of our top and flop are related to the World Cup uh this week unsurprisingly perhaps And the flop, among many flops around this World Cup, let's be honest, the biggest one for me was the uh, head of FIFA, Mr Infantino, and his speech where he said, I feel Qatari, I feel disabled, I feel like a migrant worker. Gay. Gay, just about everything he apparently this guy felt. And um, he was obviously trying to do this kind of Ich bin ein Berliner uh, speech uh, which would change the game for FIFA, but it actually had the opposite effect in that it met almost widespread ridicule when uh, when you're a guy who's earning 
probably be more than a million dollars a year and you're claiming today you're a migrant worker who you know these guys are working up to 10 years for virtually nothing um living in appalling conditions um and you know and dying i think that's the thing how many people have died yeah i mean it was it was horribly misjudged and i do wonder if he had a communications director why that communications director didn't stop him from making that speech I mean, the whole of FIFA's communications around this World Cup has been awful. And um, there has also been the armband thing, which we won't talk a lot about. But, um, you know, the not allowing uh, countries of different nations to wear a rainbow armband when it was so important in the narrative running up to this World Cup seems a real own goal, to use a pun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's created certain conversations. I don't know if it has with, with you children, but definitely with my nine-year-old and his friends, you know, just discussing what this World Cup means and what this means for gay rights and, you know, where they find themselves in this. You know, I think this is really important, which is obviously what leads us on to this week's top, which is uh, Joe Lycett um, really challenging Beckham and his role as an ambassador within uh, the Qatar World Cup and challenging him to uh, really um, resign from that role. Um, and and, um, you know, started off, I think it was, you know, a good sort of 10 days in advance of the beginning of the World Cup and said, you know, I will give £10,000 um, to charities if you step well, down. I, I, what um, he actually said, Frankie, was I will burn £10,000 rather than give it to charities. Oh, no, 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 no. If he, if he, um, he basically said uh, to David Beckham, if he stepped down, he would give the money to um, uh, various LGBT. TQ plus um, charities. Um, but if he didn't, then he would shred the money. Oh. Um, and actually what then happened was that um, David Beckham obviously didn't step down. And Joe Lycett, who's obviously fantastic on Twitter, but just the, the most incredible kind of cultural commentator these days, he's fantastic. And then he obviously delivered the video in, in what is, I have to say, the most extraordinary rainbow outfit. I mean, I was just cheering him. It was wonderful. And he went ahead and, and shredded all of the money um, and, it, and it was just um, fantastic but then he he then revealed the punchline at the end of it which was the money actually hadn't been shredded um, and actually the money had already been donated to um, various charities in advance and but he, he made a he made a really you know fantastic statement he used his position to you know, raise what clearly is a huge amount of hypocrisy that has kind of led us <laughs> all feeling rather aghast about the decisions that have been made about the Qatar World Cup. So, so good for him, and, and thank goodness that he he led the campaign that he did. And what an extraordinary the level of impact he achieved for just ten thousand pounds, really, in the round. I mean, I think it was a huge amount of impact. What did you think? Yes, I, I agree. There's very few examples of really good communications around this World Cup so far, but Joe Lycett. As you say, for £10,000, the amount of media uh, coverage he generated is really quite astounding. So, um, But it wasn't easy finding a top from the World Cup so far, which says a lot. So that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll look forward to you joining us next time. 